Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, if you guys have been with us for the last few Sundays, you know that we're in the middle of a series called Devoted, where we're looking at the four different things that the early church devoted themselves to, that they were committing themselves to. The first week, we looked at the apostles' message, which we talked about was the gospel message. And we said that there's some very clear things in the gospel message that have to be present for us as we're sharing that message. And the truth is that that Jesus died for our sin, and he rose again to give us new life. That was kind of the simple way of putting it. And then last week, we looked at what fellowship is, and we looked at four different aspects of fellowship and how the early church, they did these things to defend themselves in fellowship with one another. We talked about how they shared with one another. They gave openly the things they had. They cared for one another by loving and forgiving each other. They dared one another to live gospel-centered, radical lives for Jesus. And finally, they prayed for one another. I know that didn't work with the care and prayer and all that kind of stuff, but they prayed for one another, right? And so those are the things that they were devoted to. Well, today we're going to look at the third of those four things. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper. Um, And as we do that, would you bow with me one more time and let's pray over the message this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for what has already been said through our students. God, and we know the truth is, is that they are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of right now. God, they're just as much as part of this body, of this fellowship of believers, as any one of the adults in this room. And we thank you for them. We thank you for what you stirred in their hearts as they went to camp. And we pray that it would actually be a stirring for us as well. God, that it would encourage us, that it would convict us, that it would push us closer to you. So, Father, this morning I also ask that you would have the words that I'm about to say, that they would be your words. God, that you would say what you want to say through me, that it wouldn't be me, but it would be you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So when Emily and I first got married, my mother-in-law gave us this really incredible gift. It was very thoughtful, very sweet. It took some time for her to actually get it together. It was a recipe book. And the recipe book went back for generations of different people in our family, both sides, who shared their favorite recipes with us. And so we had great-grandparent recipes in there. And we had grandparent recipes in there. And I just remember when I got that red book, which we still have in our house, I opened it up and I'm kind of flipping through and I get to the page where it has my mom's recipes, right? And I'm reading through them and I'm kind of looking at them and and I see this note to Emily and it says, Emily, these are some of James's favorite recipes. And so I look over to my wife and with a little smile and I say, I don't remember any of these. So here's the thing. When we talk about the Lord's Supper this morning, sometimes I think that we may not understand exactly why we take it. 
We don't understand what is the purpose for us taking the Lord's Supper. And so this morning, I'm hoping that as we look at it, that we'll be able to see in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, we're going to be able to see that every single person in here needs to be able to have a greater understanding of the purpose of the Lord's Supper, but also what I really want is for us to see the three heart postures that we're supposed to take whenever we come to the Lord's Supper together, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to turn to that passage that we've been looking at a lot, Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're going to start there. We're going to look. So if you want to turn with me, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so this morning I'm going to make an argument. I've kind of already alluded to the fact of this, this truth that I'm about to share with you. But I'm going to make an argument um, about something that we see in this particular text this morning in verse 42 and verse 46. So in verse 42 it says, breaking of the bread. Okay, and in verse 46 you might read that it says, broke bread in each other's homes and ate together. And so I want to make sure that I kind of help clarify that there's two different things that are happening here. In that verse 42, when it says breaking of the bread, that is specifically talking about communion, the Lord's Supper, taking that together. And then in verse 46, when it says that they broke bread in each other's homes and they ate together, this is talking about the idea that they just shared meals with one another. Okay? But I want to kind of give you a little bit of reason why, because this is really debated, actually quite debated within scholars say that, well, we don't know if this is talking about communion or if this is just talking about a meal together. But I'm going to kind of give you my reasons why I think that this is communion. But I'm just going to go ahead and say this. There's no definitive answer on that. I'm just going to give you my reason why I take this in the text to mean that this is communion, okay? So let me give you some support. The first thing is that it's included in these four things in this list. It's clear to me that Luke is differentiating these first four things in verse 42 versus the rest of this passage. There's something special. There's something unique about these four things. Well, the only thing I can think of that's unique and special about breaking of bread is the truth that when Jesus broke the bread, it was clear that there was something different in the way that he broke the bread. So when Luke says breaking of the bread, he's talking about a specific bread, which would be the bread of communion, okay? Second, all of the early converts to, to Christianity that we've read about, that we talked about in Luke 2, the first week that we started, they were all Jewish. And in Jewish culture, meals are ceremonial. Now, I come from a deeply Southern family. I didn't hear any woots. I thought for sure I'd hear some woots on that <laughs> I come from a deeply Southern family. My, uh, my, my grandmother on my mom's side is a very strong Louisiana woman. She has gone to be with the Lord now, but she is a very strong Louisiana woman. And meals are an important thing to her. You didn't mess with the schedule of the meal. You mess with the schedule of the meal, you're going to get messed with. You know? And that's exactly how it was for the Jewish culture. That's exactly how it is for them. For them, the meal had a very specific order. There would be a prayer of thanksgiving 
over the meal, and then someone, most likely the host of the home, would break the bread, and they would share that together. So here's what I think is happening. I think in the early church, as they would get together and meet together to gather, to worship, to be together, to put their eyes on Jesus, to thank him for what he's done, the apostles are sharing how Jesus broke that bread very specifically, very differently, and he talked about how this is the new covenant that we are in. And so as they're taking that together, they're recognizing that this is a different type of meal that we're having together. We are eating the Lord's Supper with one another because we're a part of the new covenant. And I love how one commentator, William Wooleman, says it. He says it this way. In good Jewish fashion, when the blessing is said at the table, the table becomes a holy place and eating together a sacred activity. Now, that is true when we gather together for meals, period, but there is something absolutely different when we come together for the Lord's Supper together. When we take the bread, when we take the cup, there's something different. And this is actually what begins to happen in the early church. As, as they're taking together the Lord's Supper, um, it became part of their meals together. Uh, and early on in the church, um, and Paul even talks about this to the church in Corinth that we're going to see in just a minute, but as they are taking that together, this meal, as they would come together, worshiping, there was a meal that they would gather for, kind of like, kind of like a potluck would be the best way that we could say this, right? As the early church gathered, everybody's kind of bringing something to the meal. But in the middle of that meal, they would stop and they would take the Lord's Supper. Now, in the early church, the earliest times, it was called something very special, something very unique. It was called the agape meal or the love feast. Now, guys, this is not when you stand in front of the mirror and check yourself out and you tell your wife, hey, come check out the love feast. All right? That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what it is, okay? Uh, this is a very particular meal, again, where they are coming together and they're setting apart a special time in that meal to put their eyes on Jesus' death and resurrection, okay? And in the middle of that meal, one of the elders or a host of the home, they would begin by quoting an early church hymn, which is for, found in 1 Corinthians 11. That's where we're going to turn now. If you would turn with me, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11. So it's in this passage that we're actually going to find the heart postures that we need to take when we come together to take the Lord's Supper, okay? So starting in verse 17, let's read this together. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we're, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you eat, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. So we've already talked about how meals are an important and significant part of the Jewish life together. And so each time that God establishes or reestablishes his relationship with his people, there's a meal that becomes part of this. It's involved in this. If you think about when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he's receiving the law from God, uh, it says very clearly in the text that the elders of the community, the, the older members of uh, Israel, were invited up the mountain. And that was to actually experience the presence of God. But it seems to indicate from the text that right after they have this experience with God alongside Moses, that they have a meal together. And of course, one that's probably a little more familiar with us is Passover. Passover, of course, there was a meal that was celebrated. In fact, as they're getting instructions about putting the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their homes, remember, God is telling them, forever, you're going to remember this through a meal. You're going to have a meal together. So whether it was at Mount Sinai, where God is trying to tell the people, I am God alone, or in the Passover, where he's saying, I am deliverer who brought you out of captivity. Here in 1 Corinthians, he's doing the same thing. We're shown that the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal as well, but it's, like we said a minute ago, the new covenant. It's the new covenant with his people. And so Paul says that he is passing this on from the apostles, like we just read. But, but look at verse 25, because I want to make sure you see it, that it's not just James saying it, but it's right there in the text. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So remember, the old covenant was based upon promises God made to the people of Israel. And if they kept those commands that God had given them, he would keep his promises, right? But in the new covenant, the one that you and I are now in with God, this is not the standard. The standard is not, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is Jesus has done everything. Jesus has completely obeyed God. He did what you and I could not do and would never be able to do because we rebel, we sin, we do our own thing. But Jesus, in the new covenant that he is establishing, it is all about our trust in what he has already done, his sacrificial death on the cross. Listen to, one how, listen to how one commentator puts it. With Jesus, a new relationship is opened to man. Dependent not on law, but on love. Dependent not on man's ability to keep the law, for no man can do that, but on the free grace of God's love offered to men. I, I want to make sure that I kind of clarify this a little bit further for you, because if you walked in here this morning thinking that your relationship with God is dependent upon what you do, you're going to walk out of here severely disappointed because you are going to fail you are going to mess up. Your relationship with God is completely dependent upon what Jesus has already done for us. It is dependent on his death and resurrection and the truth that he's already fulfilled every righteous requirement that the law asked of us. So here's this really cool idea. 
That's called the imputation of Christ. Uh, what he has done in perfect righteousness, how he lived perfectly to the standard that God asked, he gives to you the moment you believe. Now, the death that you deserved because of your sin, Jesus takes that from you. See, it's a huge trade. It's a pretty sweet trade-off if you think about it for a second. Wait a minute, I was supposed to die because I didn't live righteously, and you're going to give me all of your righteousness, and you're going to die. That's a sweet deal. I'll take it. That's, again, why it's called the good news, right? It's good. Such a good news. Okay. All right. So um, this meal is absolutely important because of this very reason. It's our reminder of exactly what Jesus did for us. So just like each of the elements in the Passover meal has symbolism, so does the bread, so does the wine for us. It's the symbolism of Jesus's own body and his own blood. So the first thing, the first heart posture that we have to have is that we have to remember in gratitude Christ's sacrifice. All right, so the main reason that Paul's actually writing this particular part in, in 1 Corinthians 11 is actually to rebuke the church. I don't know if you saw that as we kind of started the reading, but it's not a very nice thing that he's starting out with because the, the church has unfortunately, they've taken on those bad characteristics that we talked about last week when, they take your, when you take our focus and our eyes off of Jesus and we start to focus on the things that we're not supposed to focus on, they started to do that. And it was nowhere more clearly seen than in their time together in the Lord's Supper. They started to segregate themselves from one another. They started to think of themselves as, well, this, I'm a little bit better than this person. This person has some issues. and So I'll tell you what, my family, we're just going to eat over here. We're going to have our own meal together. But the truth is they were supposed to be unified. They were supposed to take it together. But they're saying, no, no, that, that's okay. We're, we're going to... And then some of them, they were angry at each other. They had, had some hurts and some offenses that were happening. And they're like, well, I'm not going to eat with them. I don't like them. And so we start to see this kind of creeping into the church. So that's why Paul wants to make sure he addresses it. In fact, he uses some really strong words here. Look at what he says. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now, I grew up in a church tradition where we took communion, well, really the, the only way that I can say this is once in a blue moon. I mean, that's really how often we took it. We didn't take it on a Sunday morning. In fact, you had to be one of those like rare few that was like super devoted that came on Sunday night, and then you, happened to ha you had to have caught the exact right Sunday for communion to fall, right? And so this is my experience that, first of all, it really wasn't something that was super important, which seems to be opposite from what the text is saying here in Acts to us, that it was something important. But the other thing is that I remember distinctly when that portion where Paul says, examine yourself, I remember it was like, man, any bad thought that I had had, like I needed to like stop and just like focus on that. And, and the truth is if, if I had those things, that I wasn't worthy to come and take communion. The problem is that that's not what Paul's saying here. That's not what the text says. If we look at the context of what he's saying, he's saying, listen, if there is something between you and another member of God's body, of the church, then you need to go make that right. 
I mean, think about it. this. Actually, lines up. When I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our um, Sermon on the Mount series, where Jesus in Matthew chapter five he actually says, "Hey, if you remember when you're bringing your offering, if you remember that someone has something against you, you need to go and make that right. Leave your gift at the altar, and go and make that right." So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when we come together, this should be every time we come together, but definitely at the Lord's Supper, that if we have somebody who is offended by us or that we have offended, that we need to make sure before we continue in worship that we go and make that right with them. Because the truth is, Jesus' death was not just for our relationship vertically. We've talked about this before, but it's also for our relationship horizontally. This will always make this better. Our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus will always cause us to love people deeper. Always. Um, I, I love what author and, uh, and pastor Sky Jatani says. Listen to this. At the Lord's table, we're guests. We're each invited and welcomed by Christ. We do not choose who we share the meal with. We do not place an order. We do not customize our beverage. Instead, we all receive the same bread and drink from the same cup. See, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are equals. There's no head. There's no one more important. James DeWitt is not more important than anyone else in this room when we come together for the Lord's Supper. We're all equals. It's a round table, if you will. And we all come before Jesus equally as grateful for what he's done. Equally undeserving of what he's done. So the second heart posture is this. That when we come to communion, we need to repent in brokenness over our sin. We need to repent of our sin. From the earliest times in church history, the Lord's Supper was referred to as the Eucharist. Now, if you have come from a Catholic tradition, you might be familiar with this word. In fact, the Eucharist is still taken together in the Mass. In fact, that's what the Mass points to, is it points to the Eucharist. But what I want you to understand is that the word Eucharist in Greek is a really incredible word. I was telling Andrew this morning, the songs that he chose could not have been more perfect as we talk about communion today, because it means the great thanksgiving. That's what the Eucharist, from the earliest of times, that was what it was called. That's what the, when the church gathered together, had this meal, it was called the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving. And so in that, we are reminded of Christ's great sacrifice. We're reminded to repent, but we're also reminded of the celebration that we're going to have in the future because of what Jesus has done. So look again at, at, at verse 32 here in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So here's what Paul's saying, that we have to stop to evaluate in repentance over ourselves, and we need to, to make sure that we've got this connection between each other um, reestablished, right? And as we do that, the judgment for that is not that God's going to come in and he is going to, to banish us again. We're not going to be banished to hell because of the sin that we have with each other, but instead we, with great hope, know that all of that sin has been covered. And I want to make sure that we understand this because I actually had several years ago uh, in student ministry, I had an adult as we were at camp ask me this question. James, does, does Jesus need to be sacrificed again if I sin again? 
Does, does, does he need to go and die again if, if I've sinned again? Here's the thing. Jesus' death covers all sin for all people all time. All of your past sin, all of the sin that you are presently committing, and all of the sin that you will do in the future. His death covers that. That sacrifice covers all of that. So one commentator says this. For the children of God, there is no judgment on sin, our present sin, because that's already been paid for once and for all by Jesus himself. Just, just think about that for a second. One sacrifice, once and for all. How incredible is that? I don't, I don't have to do anything. It's all been covered. This is what it means to come and take the Lord's Supper. We're reminded of this truth, right? Now, I would hope that that would make us want to celebrate. So the final heart posture that we need to have is that we rejoice in the hope of our future. We rejoice. We're certain that God has paid the price for our sin and that we are going to spend eternity with him. Did you know that um, Jesus, when Jesus returns, the scripture says we're going to have a party? Do you know that? Anybody like parties? I figured that was probably the case. We're going to have a party. It says that all of those who've trusted in him in Revelation 19, we are going to be dressed in white robes, and we're going to be singing and shouting to the praise of Jesus. It's going to be an incredible party because we are going to be people, and we should be people who rejoice, who rejoice in what Jesus has done. Now, I want to show you my last, this is the last thing, my favorite part of Paul's exhortation here to the church. Look back at verse 26, because it's right in the middle there, and I know we kind of passed it already. But look at what he says. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I want you to catch what Paul is saying. When we take communion together, it is a sermon. When we take the bread and we take the, the wine, the cup, when we take those two things, it is a mini-sermon in the middle of our gathering together. It is preaching the gospel. It is a physical and tangible expression of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. So it makes sense that we should do this often together because we can be reminded of those things. Okay? And it unites us in our faith. Remember, they took their eyes off of what was the most important thing. But if we keep our eyes focused on what the most important thing is, that Jesus loved us so much that he willingly gave himself for our sin, that unites us. It makes us equal at the table. Nobody's more important because we're all equally as guilty, but all equally as forgiven. So as we close this morning, maybe you realize that as you've been taking the Lord's Supper, you haven't stopped to really think about what it means. I want to encourage you, and I know that we're not taking the Lord's Supper today, but I want to encourage you that as we sing here in a minute, just maybe just stop and just confess that to the Lord. Just tell him, say, I'm, I'm sorry that I, when we take this, I just kind of pass on by it. Or, or maybe you're a person who uh, you recognize that there are some people that you've rubbed the wrong way or that you've been offended by, and you need to make things right. I encourage you, don't wait till we take communion again. Do that today. Don't leave here without talking to them. Find a corner of the room. Go to my office. I don't care. 
But if you need to take care of that with somebody else, please do that. Pastor Ronald's going to be here. I'm going to be here. If there's anything else that you would need for us to pray with. But can we close together in prayer? Father God, we thank you so much for the beauty of the meal, the Lord's Supper, that reminds us that is the gospel presentation to us again in a physical form of this new covenant that we're in with you based not on anything that we do, but based on everything that Jesus has done for us. And we thank you for that. I pray that as you stir our hearts, as you convict us this morning, as you challenge us, as you push us back to Jesus, that we be obedient, that we would do what your spirit is asking us to do, and we would follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.